Do you think you know your ideal customer? Well, think again. Many businesses create an ideal customer profile, putting all their sales and marketing efforts in the same ideal basket, aiming at one single kind of person, and end up missing out on endless opportunities to sell their service and products. Let's have ourselves a pocket-sized pep talk because today's guest has helped thousands of entrepreneurs around the world start, sustain, and scale their businesses, and she's here to help you do the same. A pocket-sized pep talk, the podcast that can help energize your business and your life with a quick, inspiring message. Now, here's your host, Rob Jollis. Pam Slim is an award-winning author, speaker, and business coach who works with small business owners ready to scale their businesses. She's the author of three books, including her most recent, The Widest Net. Pam and her husband, Daryl, co-founded the Main Street Learning Lab in Mesa, Arizona, where they host scores of diverse community leaders and regular small business programming. Glad to have you with us and welcome to the show, Pam. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Good. Well, it's a pleasure. And I always like to start right with the book. So uh, because a lot of times people who don't write books don't realize that we don't find a book. It usually finds us. So I, I'm curious, how did this one find you at the widest net? I feel like this one's been chasing me for the last 30 years. Believe it or not, my degree in college was community development and specifically looking at non-formal education as a tool for social and economic change. So who knows how at 18 I discovered that was what I meant to write about. But as a business coach, there are just common questions that people ask. And I found especially as more of a heartbeat in recent years, everybody, whether they were in business and scaling into a new market, whether they were starting a business, launching a book, was always asking the question, "How? where are my people? Where's my audience? What's my customer base? And the more tools that we have and channels we have for finding customers, the more overwhelmed I found people were. So I really wanted to create, based on years of really decades of experience, a methodical way that you could approach uh, community and audience building in a way that's very applicable to small business owners. Well, I think you're smart to do that as a, as a going on 40 years now, 40 year sales trainer. I can't tell you how many customers I meet with and I'm looking forward to it. I'm the consultant, got myself a client and relatively quickly, I realized, no, you don't have a sales problem. You have a marketing problem. Uh, I really think, uh, look, I, 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 I'm, that's who I'm branded as. I'm the sales guy. But I've always thought that marketing is what brings somebody to the table. And sales is what happens once you pull out a chair. Uh, if I don't have anybody to bring to the table, my sales skills aren't failing me. My marketing skills are failing me. So 100% I, it's kind of yeah. the perfect peanut butter and jelly combination, isn't it? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's weird is speaking of peanut butter and jelly, they go well together. I'm still a peanut butter and jelly guy. And yet it's just like service and sales, marketing and sales. They seem to not want to play together where when you become an entrepreneur and you're wearing multiple hats, you go, I, I want to apologize to every marketing person I ever met because I had no idea how intertwined the two of us are. Um, and I'd, I'd like to speak to that a little bit in terms of the branding. And I'll jump in on the sales side, but I can't sell it if I don't know how it's branded. So uh, I'm curious how you approach the branding when it comes to working with an entrepreneur in sales. 
I see it as really connected. I did, I had a sales training client for many years in, in the early days of my management consulting business. And I would find the same thing as you very often in larger companies that there would be this weird disconnect that I really see as an organizational like design person as a fundamental flaw in the structure of how we should look at things. Because really there is an absolute through line, really all the way starting from the mission of your business and like, what's the mission you're on? What are the bigger problems that you're trying to solve? And what are you about? What are the values that you have? And who do you see as being these ideal clients? I always think from the potential customer perspective, they see it right away. They're the ones that see this gap between the experience they have in marketing or in the early onboarding and sale. There's the honeymoon, let me wine and dine you and bring you fresh coffee every morning when you're in the early part sometimes of a, you know, of a sales experience. And then very often people fall off the cliff in the experience of being integrated into a business. So it's just a great example where there are multiple points of failure when we don't look at the entire customer experience from marketing all the way through really delivering the product or the service and offboarding people as one experience. So, I mean, that's that's the way that I look at it in right. the in the context of the widest net. There are these foundational pieces that you need to define that then every strategy, including your marketing and your sales strategy is is coming off of the same foundation. And that's what I think creates much more alignment. Well, and thank goodness, uh, I have to tell you for for years now, I'm not talking in the last 10 years, but for years, I, I, of course, as a professional speaker, I would never hang around to any meeting. I get in, I get out. But the one person I would hang around for was the marketing person, because uh, in sales, we can, we can create something that is very repeatable and predictable. I can work with Toyota on one day, and I can work with Disney on another. And the process doesn't really change. Now, the case studies change how we apply you know, the peanut butter and jelly to the same that changes, but it's not like, well, we're going to create something completely different for the way we persuade your client, but no, it's fairly predictable. But in marketing, I've struggled with this because I sold for New York life. I sold for Xerox. The sales process was, was similar. The marketing was not similar. And so I'm curious from your angle, are there some repeatable, predictable pieces? Not maybe not a, a full scale process, but are, are there some go-to elements that really kind of cross over whichever business you're in, or is it tailored to the business? It, there, the structure of it to me is the consistency of the way that you would approach each audience segment. So the way that I see the world from a marketing perspective is that you want to create a coherent strategy for each audience segment. And I know earlier we were talking before we started recording, in my own case, I have two distinct segments, people I work with every day who tend to be thought leaders, people who are scaling their, their business through IP, you know, creating training programs and so forth that they're selling into a B2B audience. A different audience are software as a service SaaS companies who sell into the small business market because I've had so much experience with them. So when you look at those two audiences, they're quite different. They have different ways in which they connect. The people that that work with them, more of a, you know, a, a solopreneur, somebody who has a small scale consulting business, for example, is going to be structured really differently than a, you know, GoDaddy who has millions of customers in different channels. So I think about the approach with is audience specific, 
where the foundation that is the same is where you're going through the steps that happen to be in my book, because that's, <laughs> I am a method person. And so there's a right. reason why there's an order in which you put things. In this example of my own business, you know, the core mission that I have of really just relieving stress that people feel from financial pressure, like I just don't want anybody to ever have to struggle with money. It's just a fundamental thing that I love helping people to be strengthening the financial foundation of their business. Like that mission is shared between both audiences. The values are shared in terms of how I show up, being a highly relational person, being inclusive, wanting to make sure that you, you know, you have trust and integrity. But then when you start to get a little bit deeper into the process for each audience is where you figure out the right fit between you as the business owner and some of your core strengths and gifts, which is important. So for example, if you hate video, you hate being on video, you hate watching videos, you probably don't want to build your marketing strategy around that channel. Um, but so you want to be thinking about what are some of your core strengths that you have as a communicator or a natural way in which you're going to be motivated to create content. But it has to then be matched by what the needs and desires are of the market. And so that's where you see this unique fit where you're basically answering the same questions as you're going into it from each audience. And I usually really recommend just trying to stay in your zone of strengths as you are as a communicator um, so that you're not having to be doing a whole bunch of different types of marketing activities but then for each audience is where you might make uh, a different you know differentiated kind of marketing strategy so more for a SaaS company maybe you're going to create more detailed research and reports and things that would be useful to them in the context of their customers versus the marketing assets that you would create for more of a solopreneur market. No. So that's that's the way to me that you begin to see some of this alignment. Right. Let me, let's stay on that core strengths piece because I've heard this debated and I'm, 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 I'm struggling with that piece. And it, it may be because I was an athlete at one point and, you know, and as a basketball player, if you, you know, everybody was right-handed could go to their right. Obviously going to your left was more difficult, but when you developed your left hand, you became a much more lethal ball player in business as an entrepreneur. And I'm coming up on my 30th year now. I um, always wanted to embrace my weaknesses. Believe it or not, I actually was laid off one time in my career. Not something I speak about a whole lot. I was working for a company called, what was that company? called i don't know if we need to name their name <laughs> they're sorry now i'll tell you that but okay. it, was a, it was a small contract seven people i kept boasting i'm not your writer i'm not your writer i'm your trainer and i was I, they loved me i the, the contract they they actually upped the contract just for me oh i was a superstar problem was the contract ended through seven people and we were writing rfps they had to get rid of only one person they got rid of their trainer because he kept advertising that my strength is not writing. My strength is speaking. Uh, and out I went and uh, completely blind layoff, had no idea it was coming and dedicated myself, not just to put myself in some writing classes and learn how to write, but dedicated myself to never run away from a weakness. And yet I know this is a catch 22. I, I know this is not, but you see where I'm coming from where oh, yeah. I get nervous on a blanket statement when I'm coaching somebody to say, well, if you don't like doing it, let's not do it. Uh, now video I get, but so walk me, where am I misguided on this? Help me with this a little bit. 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question because so I look at it from a couple of different mm -hmm. uh, perspectives. So one okay. of them is, and for my my sport was always martial arts. So I did capoeira, Afro Brazilian martial arts for eleven years, and mixed martial arts for about five years. So I always I always think through sports context. I love that <laughs> analogy. Good. Good. The the first analogy is. I think a lot of the ways that we might approach that answering that question is really in not choosing a sport. So you would say if you're a basketball player within the context of basketball, you're wanting to be as well-rounded as you can in the context of other players in the game and really the league that you're in and exactly what you're playing. So you are going to be optimizing your own prowess in that sport to the bet, to be the best possible player that you can be. Okay. What I see it sometimes is where people are trying to play basketball and soccer and mixed martial arts and lacrosse and now pickleball, which seems to be the sport that everybody over 45 is playing these days. I will not play and it. I don't like the word. <laughs> Keep going. I will not play pickleball. Go ahead and print it in the newspapers if you must, but continue your story. That's right. So, so my analogy with this is if you are seriously somebody who just really is not strong at all in video or you know audio or writing and you're basically trying to develop skills in all these different sports you're not going to be effective in any of them the the so that's that's one context is you do want to be leaning in to the right. area where you have the best chance of success there is huge science behind a strengths-based approach and i having been inside organizations for many years as a management consultant it it does often make more sense to really be deeply understanding the unique strengths of team members, you know, in an organization or for you as the founder of your business and to be leveraging that is what the research says. But that said, it is totally a choice that one makes when you're leading your business that is based on your definition of success for how you want to grow your business, how big, what your goals are. I meet some people who the bottom line is they want to hit certain revenue targets. They want to scale, sell their business, go in the, you know, six, seven, eight figures in rapid succession. And they're going to be approaching their development and their, their strategies from, from that particular lens. There are many other people I work with who are looking to be building their business consciously because they don't want to be doing things they don't want to do because maybe they've done that for decades in corporate and right. this is a chance for them to really lean in in a different way. I, I never ignore, you can't ignore either side of the equation, your understanding of your strengths and what the, your chosen market decides that is needed. And that's where I think from the strategic side is you're looking at your business and who your audience segments are. For example, if they're, you know, your audience are really um, people who demand that you show up like an influencer where every five minutes you have to have new fresh photos and be constantly posting stuff and have a TikTok channel and you hate all of that. My suggestion as a business coach would be choose a different audience segment because you can't fight what that segment wants and the way in which they consume content. So there's all these like fundamental questions that you're going to ask as you get down the line. And right. always for all of us, there can be certain things where we are stretching ourselves to be developing in areas. But to me, it, it needs to be in service of a market that fundamentally you're passionate about serving. And so you might say, not really a fan of TikTok, but you know what? That's what this market needs. So I'm going to make it happen and make it as easy and efficient as possible. Got it. Uh, let me uh, pay you a compliment. Um, that's not the first time I've asked that question. That's the first time I got an answer that I can live with. 
And I, you had me at hello. You actually had me <laughs> at Rob. It's not a sport. Uh, and, and, you know, we could do another podcast on how we will tunnel, tunnel vision of thought um, in certain ways. But I had a couple of things down about, you know, I'm left handed, by the way. I had to learn to go to my right to be a, to be a ball player. Yeah. Um, and I celebrate the fact I don't even use my I, can't, I don't even know where my right hand is. It slaps me every now and then. The coach said, that's funny. Well, you're going to be dribbling with it now. Um, but yes. it's not a sport. And the second thing I, you know, piece I'd put in there that makes sense to me also, it, it, you know, my wording for it is if it's in your job description, if it's in your, remember, we're not necessarily talking about an entrepreneur. If you're working for a company that says you need to, you need to do this, this, and perhaps present, and you say, Oh, I'm not much of a presenter. I'm going to celebrate that constantly. I think that's, you might be going down the wrong alley on that one, but the way you've described it really kind of separating. And um, I, I, I agree. There are certain things I don't particularly like in in my business as an entrepreneur but um and, and i can i i don't have to do them there's the I, there, it's a fertile ground but yeah. just separating me from the sport by the way really made me sit back and smile and go yeah i think i need to leave, leave going to your right or left out of this equation and just look at it bigger the way you have so um i do i actually appreciate that I'll never ask that question again because it has been answered. Seal it up. I am glad we have, I'm glad we have put that to rest. <laughs> it's been keeping me up at night. All right. When we when I opened the show, I talked about the this ideal customer profile that so many of us fall in love with. And and so I want to be I want to be true to the audience. That's the way we led the show. You say we're missing out on key opportunities to sell our service and, and products when we um basically target one individual. Uh, 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 I don't disagree with you. I just want to hear you talk about that a little bit more. Make sure we get that answered. So tell me why. For sure. The expert that I used in the book is my dear friend, Susan Beyer, who's an attitudinal segmentation researcher, a, a fancy title, but basically all day, every day, she works with marketing agencies and brands to be defining their customers really based on the problems and challenges or aspirations that they have and their attitudinal segment. So, and what that means specifically is you can look at a combination of a way in, in the early days that I used to describe my ideal clients for Escape from Cubicle Nation. As you mentioned in the, in the intro, that was my first book. I spent a lot of years doing early stage work with people leaving corporate to start a business. And one of the ways I find that we're just still teaching about marketing is to name the ideal client as an avatar that you can name right down to what kind of shoes are they wearing and what kind of car are they driving. So if I was driving in my audience definition as either a you know 30 year old hipster who was a creative person who drove a Prius, or if I was just describing my audience as somebody who was 45, didn't wanna take it anymore, was ready for a career transition to go out on their own, I really would be missing the opportunity to be working with all of them very consistently with the services that I provided. So for me and the way I used to describe my audience for Escape from Cubicle Nation 
were people who were in corporate, who really wanted to leave to start a business, but wanted to do so with a solid financial footing. They weren't the leap and the net will appear. They weren't going to do the Jerry Maguire, anybody who's ever seen that movie, and make a big speech and grab the goldfish. (laughs) (laughs) For me, it was somebody who was thoughtful about what they did, who's generally somebody who did not hate corporate necessarily and was a good employee because what's funny to me after all these years uh, i used to say at escape that hating your job intensely is not a business plan because often somebody might be massively disgruntled make a big scene go off to be an entrepreneur and then realize (laughs) that you actually still need to be working with clients and often somebody who was just excited about their work but wanted to go into a different work mode was for me an ideal kind of client. So when we're looking and defining our clients that way, um, of, of identifying them by core problems or challenges that they have, first of all, it's a way that we can be reaching people from a number of different either verticals within companies or demographic segments as individuals in a B2C setting. But also it's where we can be finding these peanut butter and jelly partnerships and the widest net that what that means is people with highly complementary but non-competitive services. So you and I are a classic example of that. Every single person I work with who wants to build a strong, sustainable business needs a foundation to understand their market, their business model, their marketing approach. They also need really strong and effective sales process and sales skills. So as as we're looking at really the you know the ecosystem that's surrounding an ideal client that might be able to be served by both you and i that's where we can look at Ooh, if we're defining a client that way it means that we can both identify how we could really be helping that person and in addition to the work we do in sales and marketing they probably also need an intellectual property attorney a cpa they probably you know, listen to certain podcasts or places where we can find them. I call them the watering hole, a place in person or online where lots of those folks are gathering. And so to me, when we look at an audience that way by problem, challenge, or aspiration, it, it really opens up the opportunities. Um, right. The other thing I'll say, and it's, of course, you always want to have a title that's a bit provocative. So the widest net, you know, some people are like, what are you talking about? What about a niche? Are you just saying sell to everybody? No, I'm not saying sell to everybody. Really what I mean by the widest net is when you have clarity about who your, your audience is with a, with a tight definition based on problem, challenge, or aspiration. We actually wanna create a net underneath them of support of all of us who are in this ecosystem surrounding them so that they can't fail. And you wanna be very strategic in analyzing all the possible places where you can be reaching some of these ecosystem partners who are the very best people who are also connected to your ideal clients for referrals and so forth. You wanna do the strategic analysis and then you would create a very specific marketing plan in your marketing operations that's consistently targeting those segments. What I found in, so I've been in business 26 years, so not quite your 30, but what I found a lot is that we just get comfortable in the areas. We're like, oop, I found this kind of client. You know, it's easy, they get me. Uh, a lot of people will just say, you know, I don't do any marketing, people just find me, which I understand. That was the first 10 years of my business. But you don't recognize that you need to have some variety until you go through a bump, an economic turn, clients going away. And that's where I find that we need to just see the totality of the market and then on a, monthly, quarterly basis, zoom out, make sure we're in the right places, 
identify some new areas to begin to start to develop relationships. And that's what keeps your business healthy, I find, over time. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, for all the uh, job people in job transition, just remember that Jerry Maguire scene that we were talking about. It was a very amusing scene, but we will never walk out of a job like that ever. That's that's Hollywood. Uh, we'll leave that one alone. You know, I, there's a show on. I really, I'm actually not that crazy about it, but I saw an episode one time that I liked, The Prophet. I don't know if you've ever watched The Prophet. Uh, guy as opposed to shark tank where we in theory have you know venture capitalists i i really think that that show has jumped the shark quite frankly it's all about our sharks now the profit really just worked with one business for the hour and basically made an offer and then showed what went into making a business more successful so that was 80 percent of the show was it was now, what do you do when you buy the business? You, you, you've bought in. What are you going to do with it to make it great? And the episode, it was very interesting. It was about dog food. It was a high-end dog food company. There's a lot of, a lot of money in high-end dog food these days. They would not touch a lower-end dog food. And the prophet said to them, well, what if we find a really good low-end dog food? It's, it's a big market there, too. You're, 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 you're closing the door. No, no, no. He put, he put them on a plane. Flew him out to Minnesota, I believe it was, had him them walk through the factory, watch how it was made until they were comfortable. But it really opened my eyes of something, you know, some now, you know, we're not losing our niche. I, I could hear when he said that I was smiling about how people go, oh, our niche, our niche, not losing our niche. Just mm. we're just offering something in a spot in that store and think of that more symbolically uh, as to not give up on that end of the market that most likely will be looking in your area. And so um, to me, it was just interesting, but, but it's just, just like we, we were saying before, feels like we're dancing on two sides of the line. We're not, we, we get the big picture here, but sometimes mm -hmm. there's a little bit more to it. Let's stay with sales with you and me for a minute. Uh, you know, in selling, we don't define selling right. That's one of the biggest issues with people in sales, in my opinion. Right out of the gate, they don't really know what it is selling is. And in other words, I, I give them definitions, but they'll love a definition somewhere along the line of, uh, I'm going to listen and then take people's needs and then provide solutions to those needs. And it's interesting, it just has nothing to do with selling. Uh, it, it's not. I'm, I'm not telling you don't listen. I'm just telling you, Selling is really you taking an idea, putting it in somebody else's brain and making them feel like they thought of it. It's moving people past their fear of change. It's what happens when people know they have an issue, but don't want to address it right now. Now we whistle, the salesperson comes down the pole. Okay. And, and once we get comfortable with that, then to me, now we have our target. We go, we build a process around it. Can you do that for marketing? Can you define marketing in a sense? Um, kind of quick and easy a little bit for people uh, because I, I, I'm, I'm nervous that 10 people may have 10 different definitions to what it is that we're driving at right now. That's why I have to start a program going, now we all clear. All right, now let's build, you know, everything we do, let's build from there. Can you do that on the marketing side or am I wishing, is it wishful thinking? Uh, yes and no. And here's why mm -hmm. it is, no need to be frightened that there are 10 different definitions because okay. in business, I think 
we make decisions every day to create uh, an approach to our business that is based on our view of the world, our values, you know, what's important, as we said, our, you know, skill strengths. And there are people who operate from fundamentally different points of view. And so I, the, in, in the widest net, I define thought leadership, sort of clunky term that's thrown around, but basically thought leadership is just your point of view about how to solve the problem that's at the heart of the mission of your business. So for you, and you're describing what sales is, I'm a Matt, do you know what the, how do you articulate the mission of your business? Like what, what's at the root of what you do? Yeah, you are putting me on the spot, but I'm going to take it out of my, my, my uh, brochure kind of answer and just tell you, yeah. I'm a professional speaker who travels the world uh, mm -hmm. delivering keynotes, seminars, and workshops to help different companies become more effective and develop processes in selling. That's what I do. Totally. I love that. And I, I, it was not a test, but I know, you know, it's, it's really common. We don't always have anyway, it right there. Part, part, <laughs> part of what, and part of what I hear, tell me if I'm, I'm on target, but when I listen, especially in the parts that you might love of the entertaining and, you know, speaking, really creating a fun experience is fundamentally for a lot of people, sales are absolutely terrifying. Mm -hmm. It's not, they have a certain point of view about it. It can feel super serious and scary and negotiations and conflict and all that. So when you are showing up the way you do with your unique skills and strengths, it can make something really, you know, more interesting and enjoyable. So it's an example also in the way you were defining sales of really getting inside somebody's head, you know, like having them having that transfer of ownership where they really feel like, oh, I thought of this myself, I must have it that is informed by a point of view that you have about selling. So the same thing is true in marketing, that for me, when you are clear about the mission that you're on in, in your business, and you get really clear about the work that you wanna do and who it is that you wanna do it with, because gosh, if we learned the last couple of years that life is short, we never know when something's gonna happen, our life can just end in an instant. And so I think we should be really conscientious about how we're spending our time. So on a marketing side, when I'm working with clients, I'm always thinking, if I'm going to be helping a company to grow, I want it to be a company that I'm really interested in helping to grow, right? So when you're choosing those areas where you want to work and you're with the right kind of person, your job as a marketing person, first of all, is to find them where they already are in these watering holes to show up as somebody that is trustworthy and that has helpful information and to be really helpful to give them information to help you know solve the problem that they're in and because you are clear about what your offers are and for the right kind of people where they make a connection they're like gosh i really love your point of view your information is really helpful when they ask the question well like what do you do or how do you work you can make that really clear bridge as you start to go into your world and sales and say this is the way that I work with my ideal clients, helping to make sure they're the right fit in, from a qualification perspective, and then just to make it as easy as possible on the sales operations side to give them the information they need to make to make a good decision. Uh, the, the biggest point of view I see in marketing, the contrast I have in the widest net with a, a lot of what I see in the marketing world uh, is there's a lot of empire culture. So a lot of people talk literally about building an empire, right? I want to build a business. I want to build an empire. That's the main focus. That is a particular point of view about how it is to solve a problem for me and my values. I'm not interested in building empires. I think empires have been really great for a few people at the top, 
I really want to be driving more of a collective economic well-being. I want my clients to grow. I want my partners in the ecosystem to grow. And so there's much more of a relational focus to marketing versus the transactional view. If everything's about growing your own empire and profit at all costs, that's often where you're going to make different decisions. So it is, it's something each individual has to come up with. And I think within the field of marketing, I'm giving two big main camps, but probably within the empire or the ecosystem culture, you have probably 10 different other ways in which people segment that for a particular approach. Yeah, well, that makes sense. You know, I I'm, I was reflecting while you were talking and just thinking you know, about the empire and about how I chose in these 30 years to grow my business. I, I came it, it, very unusual in a sense. I, I worked hard to keep my business small uh, because I, uh, I saw what success could do in a sense. Uh, I, you know, I, I, my previous occupation was Xerox. I was very good at what I did. My reward was my last year, there was 289 nights out of the year on the road, uh, conducting seminars. Um, and that wasn't doing it for me. Uh, well, really wasn't doing it for my family. Um, me, I was sort of bred and, and felt I was out, you know, being a great provider. Um, I, I learned a lesson about that. And I was saved in time because, you know, a lot of people like me that have broken blood vessels on their nose and live in a townhouse and gone through their divorce. And I was spared all that by a, a, my wonderful wife. Uh, but, it, you know, you have to be careful what you wish for. So my battle mm. has always been as, as an entrepreneur to scale down. Now, I know that you write about entrepreneurs that, um, tend to put everything on themselves. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my issue is I'm in a performance-based business. It's a hard, uh, as are you, in a sense, some of what you do. And so sometimes it's hard to swap the, um, the owner out for another individual uh, on a performance. And, uh, but anyway, that's something that I, I struggled with. And so I've always run a balancing act of not getting too big and not getting too small and not getting too big and not getting too small. So, um, that's just the reflections of, of, of another entrepreneur, I guess you could say. I love that. And I love, I wrote about this a lot in my last book in body of work, when I really look through the stage, the. I look at work through really the lens of us creating a body of work throughout the course of our life that like an artist or writer musician, mm -hmm. your body of work can look different at different periods of time based on where you are personally, professionally. I'm so glad and I'm happy. Thanks to your wife, right? That you were able to like make <laughs> yeah. a decision that's good for you. Good for your family. Everybody goes through it a little different way, but we need to be taking into consideration what our own definition of success is at a different stage of business. And so very often we have this very blanket, you know, black and white view about what it is that success means. So the go big or go home, or, you know, my favorite one that I've heard in a snide way over the years is, you know, that, oh, you're only, you know, you can only call yourself an entrepreneur if you're not directly delivering services, to which many times I'm thinking, if you're the main one who makes money come in your bank account, you can call yourself whatever the hell you want. That's part of what, that's, <laughs> that's part of what one. comes with the, uh, you know, with the territory. But there are so many different views about what is the right and wrong way to do things and where I find alignment for a lot of your folks who might be in the career transition phase, but really at any point in your career, 
it really is possible to make different decisions about how you design your business based on what you want. I do a lot in the early stage design and business model design in the, I, in the context of what you're talking about. If you make a choice to be centering yourself in your business where you really are the business, you're the main talent, for example, if you're a speaker or a writer, some kind of performer, you can go through a different stage within your body of work where you then start to look at what is the method that you have created. And there is a conscious way that you can begin to put more focus on the method of what you're doing, as opposed to you being a center of the, you know, the, the personality yeah. of the business. So there just are all kinds of different stages that you can go through. And I encourage people to not worry about getting it perfect. If you're in, if you're in a stage of career transition, you're going to do your very best to research the next step and make it according to the information that you have. Uh, same thing is true as a business owner. You're going to test and try different things, see what works, see what doesn't. And you always get a chance to go back and kind of reinvent and adjust. I think that's the nature of, of the way the that's world it. work is. That's it. You're, you're not a prisoner. And, um, you know, certainly you and I, you know, almost 60 years between us of business, we've evolved in many different ways. I, I smile at the... Uh, at the, the Rob Jollis that was leaving Xerox, leaving the nest. I remember I wrote a piece, piece called like leaving the cocoon and, you know, wide eyed. And um, and I, I look back, I, I got most of it right. Um, not all of it. And then, of course, every year there was change. And, and so we worked through that. But I think kind of to sum that this part of the conversation up, uh, I did write a book uh, and I don't talk about my books when I'm interviewing another author. But in that particular book, uh, I do, whenever I sign it, I always write the same words, keep it in balance, keep it in balance. It's, a, it's about balance. And, um, and that's where people get into trouble is when they go to get out of balance a little bit. And they, they're, they're so busy climbing those rungs. P.S. Nobody ever taught us how many rungs is high enough. <laughs> you know, when, when do you not reach for the next rung? that's just never spoken about. And that could be another show. I mean, that's really, it's not an instinct to not reach. And, um, and yet it gets us a lot of us in trouble, but it's about, about just keeping it all in balance. And um, that's why it's nice to have a, a partner in life, whatever that part, whoever that partner is, uh, just to keep an eye on that, because we go into that, you know, that classic in the training world, that unconscious incompetency, where we don't know that we don't know. Uh, exactly. until it gets bigger. Uh, uh, last question for you. I've really enjoyed this conversation. We've gotten a very pensive, reflective Rob Jollis out of this thing. I'm sitting there going, Hey, I haven't made you cry yet, but not, we're not yet, done. but uh, so you certainly got we'll me to see. lean back in my chair and go, oh, hey, hey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mentors. We all have mentors. I'm just curious, a mentor or two that sticks out for you. One who I love more each day is Guy Kawasaki. I don't know if you know Guy, who is a, an original evangelist at Apple, is now the chief evangelist at Canva. And especially in the last 15 years or so, he 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 gave me a big, a big internet break, as I say, back in the day when I was early stage blogging in 2006 at Escape from Cubicle Nation. I had very a few readers, my dad, my sister, my best friend, and a random person from Google. And I wrote a post, I reached out to him, I didn't know him at all. And uh, I, I sent him a post I was working on and he loved it and he ended up publishing it on his blog and it went massively viral and was just the beginning of what, that really gave me the idea for Watering Hole because yeah. his blog at that time was so big. 
and had ideal clients for me. So when people found my work through him is where all of a sudden my audience got so much bigger, but consistently over all these years, we don't talk all the time, but he is so consistent in his values and he's just such a clear person. And, and uh, I just appreciate the way that he shows up in life and in business. Excellent. And you know, there's a lesson in there uh, that we, everybody needs to kind of pull out of that story, which is you never know till you try, you, you know, you have to have the courage to reach out. I'm sure there was a part of your brain that was going, what am I going to write that this guy is never, um, I'm, I am nine light years below him, but I can't tell you how many emails and contact I get from people. It always begins with, I didn't know if I could, I wasn't sure if I would, I, you know, this very apologetic opening. It's like, you know, I hear the, the voice of Lee Jollis, my dad, with the that classic older generations. You see that person over there? They're just like you. They put their pants on one leg at a time. And um, quite frankly, that's what we all do. So a great story for you um, with that with an amazing mentor. But another nice story for anybody. What's the worst that will happen if you reach out to somebody? Um they may not answer, but I've never heard of somebody going, how dare you for even asking? So there was really so there's just no downside to it. I'm glad that that was the break that you got. I agree. I call it tiny marketing actions. Uh -huh. And these it, exactly as your dad said, <laughs> when you have the instinct to reach out, just lean in as opposed to right. lean out. And right. it's just it, no reason not to take the shot. Right. I agree with you. Uh, well, it's been delightful. How do people get a hold of you, Pam? PamelaSlim.com. You can find all my all my stuff there. Yeah, and an easy name to spell too. I can't tell you how many guests I go. Oh, just a you know, <laughs> this I know, massive I've... name where I go. Okay, slow down. I'm going to spell it for everybody. But I think we all know how to spell PamelaSlim.com. I often uh, tell my husband, you know, yeah. it, it, I thank him for that last name. And my, my little test when people are double checking is I'll say slim like shady. Oh, and either they either they look at me with glazed eyes or they start snickering. So that that's the way <laughs> that's the way I help people remember. Well, uh, I found this a delightful conversation. I learned a few things uh, you did. It did get a, a, me a little emotional, uh, just sort of thinking back on a few things. Um, which made it a wonderful podcast for me. I hope everyone else enjoyed it. I know I did. And I can assure you they did. My audience did as well. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm grateful. Thanks for having me. Well, we'll do it again as well as we can next time, everybody. Until then, stay safe. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Outcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more information on this show and Rob at Jollis.com.